Welcome to the Brand Design Masters podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build the skills you need to design bulletproof brands for yourself, your business, and for the clients and customers you serve. And now, here's Philip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Brand Design Masters podcast. I'm your host, Philip Van Dusen, and today I'm super excited because I am here with Adam Earhart. Adam is a marketing strategist and digital marketing consultant. Ten years ago, Adam left his cushy job as a corporate business jet pilot and decided to go into marketing. In his own words, he became obsessed with everything marketing, social media marketing, email marketing, video, and funnels. And in 10 years, he's built an impressive brand ecosystem. He shares free content on his YouTube channel, covering all things marketing with close to 100,000 subscribers. Very impressive. He offers courses through the Adam Earhart Digital Marketing Academy, and he also consults one-on-one with entrepreneurs to better their marketing efforts. And with that, I welcome Adam. Ah, oh, thank you so much, Philip. It's great to, uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So I have one question I got to ask, which is right. what is not to like about being a business jet pilot? Oh, I know, right? It's like, it's so weird, right? Because like anybody looking from the outside, it just seems like the most absurd, weird, like why would you ever do that? And uh, and there, there was many things involved with it. The big one though really is if you ever meet a pilot they love flying. Like that's their, they love flying. I mean, you got to work hard for it. You got to sacrifice sort of to hit that level, especially like you've, you've made some sacrifices, but that was never really, that was never really me. Like I was good at it and I liked it, but it wasn't my whole life. Like we would land and I'd want to, I'd want to learn about business or read books, or I'd be more interested in talking to the clients about like what was going on and this and that. And so finally it was just, you know, all the, all the stars kind of aligned in the wrong way. And I was like, man, I just, I really want to be home. Like I've just, this is just not right. So essentially left, uh, left flying, went home and had no idea what to do or where to go next. And, uh, and so the evolution went from there, but yeah, it was amazing. Great people, amazing opportunity. It just was not for me. So what got into your head that said, Hey, I want to go into marketing. What happened? Yeah, another totally random thing. I mean, like, I wish I could say that all oh, they're like the stars aligned and this was clearly the chosen path and all that. But literally what happened is I was like, I left flying, left this huge opportunity, and everybody was like, thought I was totally nuts. And I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And my wife at the time was like, Hey, uh, you should do marketing. And I was like, I don't even know what marketing is. And she's like, ah, I think you'd be good at it. So I started to, like, literally, that was the impetus. And then I started learning about it. And the second, like, the literal second, and I was like, oh, hang on, this is really interesting. And so we're talking about consumer psychology and buyer behavior. And we're talking about market and business. We're talking about commerce and and economics and all of these things that I was really interested in. And I was like, all right, there might be something here. And so I started to sort of chip the pieces away. I started, well... I'll figure out how to build a website because that's probably something important. And then had a website. And I was like, oh, well, I should probably figure out how to get traffic. So learned SEO and then, okay, well, maybe I should get more traffic. So I learned social and then I wanted more. So it was ads and then moved on to content and email and video. And it just like, it just kept going. And still today, every time I learn something new, I'm just so, it's just so interesting because it's always based on people and human behavior. So it's always changing. It's always interesting. And there's always something new to go. So yeah, random, random transition. So when you started off, right when you started off and you didn't know anything, did you get involved in a mastermind group? Did you get involved in any sort of group community where you could kind of 
add jet fuel to your uh, learning trajectory or it was it completely self-taught? Did you like watch YouTube videos and read eBooks? Such a good question. So I did, I did um, a mix of everything. Essentially what happened is cause I, I was born in the eighties. And so what happened when you're born in the eighties is when you finish high school, you go to college and that's the way you learn stuff. And it was sort of like, it was just sort of accepted. So that's what I went through when I went through flight school and did all that. So when I finished flight school, I was like, well, if I'm going to do marketing, clearly I need a marketing degree. So fortunately I had a business, uh, business diploma that I was able to take and go and transfer a bunch of things over, but I started studying marketing, but very quickly loved the school, loved everyone, loved my professors. But very quickly I realized, oh man, I'm not going to get everything I need here. Like this is, this is going to have to come on my own. So one of my, the, the horrible moment for me was I asked one of my services marketing professors, they had a big quiz at the start of the school and they're like, hey, what do you want to learn? This year. And I was like, I want to learn digital marketing. And uh, so he's reading through the answers he's like, hey, me too. I was like, oh man, this isn't going to go well. So I realized that, all right, cool. I'm going to get some fundamentals and some strategies here. But most of it, most of it was like audiobooks, podcasts, ebooks, Amazon, a lot of internet stuff. I was reading before class, on my way to class. I was reading after school. I was putting in all of the hours, just seven days a week, way, way, way too much work. But but the reality was, is I knew if I really wanted to make this thing work, I was going to have to sort of go that extra mile. So yeah, I went technically got a marketing degree, which I thought if anybody's thinking about school, that first year of a marketing degree, very valuable. It was great. Learned all the basics of stuff. And then years two, three, and four was kind of just like burning through it as quickly as I could. Because I knew that most of the stuff I wanted to learn, I was going to have to get through $20 Amazon books, which were worth their weight in gold. And then yes, of course, masterminds, coaches, mentors, everything once that, once I sort of had enough revenue to justify it. So you put out a lot of content. What did you start with first? Did you get an email list and start with a newsletter? Did you write blog posts? You did start a podcast. How did you progress from content format to content format? Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely an evolution. So it was sort of like for me, the early days were blog posts and Twitter. Those were my sort of drugs of choice in the early sort of evolution of it. And so I wrote, it's funny, I wish I had my like earliest blog posts. I have some from say five, six, maybe seven or eight years ago. And uh, I wish I had those ones from like a decade ago because they were so bad. Like it was just so bad, but you got to start, right? So I had those and there was just this fluffy kind of half useless content, but it was refining my voice and figuring that out. And then Twitter, which is at the time where I thought I was going to be able to best use my time. So I built up a large audience there at the time and, and that brought in clients. The SEO on the blog brought in some decent stuff, but it was more... I found blogging and article writing the most useful because what it turned out is that as I moved into podcasting and video and that, it was always based on text first anyway. So I still needed an outline. I still needed some variation of a script. So being able to sort of get your thoughts out on paper, even if it was just kind of these rough bullet points, was really useful. So yeah, it was, I, I don't know, it was still probably blog was the, was the very beginning. Then when YouTube kind of into the picture. Oh, YouTube came in later. Yeah. So it was, what was it? It was like blog on the website. Then it was Twitter. Then it was Facebook. Uh, back when it was like, Hey, you guys here, we have business pages. You should get a business page and it's free. And everybody built these massive business pages and they're like, ah, we're just kidding. You got to pay now if you want to reach. So then we all had to run ads. So I, I got, uh, I wasn't disillusioned at the time, but I was like, all right, well, this is interesting because I know a lot of people got frustrated at Facebook for that, but it was sort of the, I don't want to say the invention of this new pay-to-play social model, but it was certainly an evolution of it where we started moving things that way. So I was like, all right, cool. I was fine with that. So I ran ads and, and that worked out good. But then from Facebook, it went to YouTube. 
Uh, and again, YouTube, looking back at those early videos, they were sketchy. Like it was on a borrowed video camera with audio in one side of the ear and I'm sweating like crazy and I'm nervous and I feel terrible and it takes me like four hours to record a four minute video. But yeah, I think I made my first one around 2017 or 2018 now. So four, four or five years, give or take. Now I got to say though, you say, I mean, I completely identify number one with the early videos. I completely identify with taking four hours to do a eight minute video. But one of the things I've noticed about your videos is that you don't really leverage the jump cut thing. Like I have to, because I screw up every other sentence. You, uh, you seem to have it down. Do you use a teleprompter? How do you not make any mistakes? Yeah. So, so first of all, I make so many mistakes, but, but, uh, there, there's definitely an evolution now. So in the early days, yeah, it really was horrific. Like there was just so much, so many ums and ahs and losing my train of thought and going down these rabbit holes. I was like, none of that was relevant. I don't know how I'm talking about socks. Like we got to, what, what just happened? So, uh, so in the early days I started with a teleprompter. Now, fun fact for anybody that's never used a teleprompter before, it may be harder than just talking. And in fact, there's a very unique skill set required to use a teleprompter. So I don't want to say you've either got it or you don't, because you can learn it. But if you don't, like if you're struggling with a teleprompter, you got to get rid of it because it's just going to hurt things. So I started with the teleprompter. I was okay with it. So I, I used it as a crutch longer than I should have. So probably like the first year was largely teleprompted. Then I switched out because I had a buddy of mine who did YouTube as well. And he's like, yeah, Sorry, dude, you got, it's got to go. It's not conversational enough. It's coming off too scripted. We see your eyes move. I was like, all right, I, I'm with it. So I got rid of it and, uh, and I started scripting the videos and reading them and saying them. And that helped to sort of, I guess, eliminate some of the errors with it. And then today, they're probably 95% not teleprompted and around 5% teleprompted if I've got something that I really have to nail. So if it's either like a specific sponsored video or something that has to happen and I know I need to say things right and we have a very set script, then I'll do it. But for the most part, it's not. And the way that I do it is, first of all, I do use jump cuts. I just use them differently. So what happens is I'll script out a script, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say verbatim, but pretty close. So I'll write out what I'm going to say and I'll block it into one to two sentence areas or paragraph at the most. And then what I do is I read it, try to half memorize it, and then I'll just say it into the camera. Hmm. And it's not going to come out perfect, but it's going to come out well enough. Because I, I mean, the, the secret here is like, I'm not talking about things that I don't know. If, we, if we're talking about all kinds of other new topics, it'd be a disaster. But this is stuff we know anyway. So read it. All right, I know what I want to say. Say it probably do it good enough, read it, say the next part. And then when we do the cuts, yeah, just a whole lot easier. So that's been the, the iterative process. So how did you decide on, or how did you draw your audience or drive your audience to your YouTube channel? First of all, what did you decide to do your content on? Who were you serving? What problem were you solving? And then Ooh. how did you go out and find that audience and drive them to YouTube? Oh, I love that question. That's a Philip, that's a good one. Okay, so so the first one, uh, how did I decide on the content? Well, it was pretty, uh, that was easy for me because it was just, marketing is such a weird thing to be in love with. It's just such an odd topic because I'm not like, um, I'm like jeans and t-shirt average guy. I'm not salesy. I, I don't get very uncomfortable with sales. Like I never really liked it. So marketing for me was just this, almost like an excuse to be able to do sales without having to sell because I thought if I could just do a ton of marketing first, 
I would never have to do a sales call and people would just hire me without that. It's largely, that's kind of how it worked out just because I, I leveraged that. But for me, marketing was just such an interesting area that it was clear from day one, it was like, it was going to be about marketing. So we're going to talk about other stuff, maybe in business and entrepreneurship and that, but, but all about sort of the facets of marketing. So that made it easier on YouTube to have that niche and to sort of figure out, all right, when I'm clear about it and I'm clear about who I want to serve, which in this case was primarily business owners, entrepreneurs, marketers of some capacity. So it's more of like a topical niche than an exact audience niche. So it's anyone that's interested in growing a business. Typically, we're around, last survey I did was like 60, 70% business owners, entrepreneurs, and like 30% marketers, CMOs, people that do marketing for other companies. Um, but that made it relatively simple. And then as far as driving traffic to YouTube, yeah, so this is like, so here's one of the biggest myths in all of... Um, and all of, I don't know, maybe marketing, definitely social media, is that a large audience somewhere else does not equal a large audience on a different platform. So what I saw over the years is I have a lot of friends with massive followings on Instagram and Facebook and wherever else, Twitter still, like massive, massive followings. So what happens is they start a YouTube channel and they try to get people over and no one goes. And they make more videos and no one goes. And, and they get frustrated and they're like, what is happening? I've got a million people here on Instagram and I'm getting like 100 views on my YouTube channel. And what ends up happening is these networks are relatively siloed. So yes, there is different sort of ways that people consume different content. And I, for one, like I, I look at Instagram, I'll go on Facebook, I watch YouTube, obviously. But I'm not necessarily following the same people, watching them as religiously. There's certain people that I prefer on YouTube or that I'll follow on Facebook. So it's like there's a very big divide. And if you're not willing to sort of play by the rules and constraints of YouTube, you're going to get, it's going to hurt really bad. So I was fortunate in that when I started, uh, SEO was still pretty, pretty decent on YouTube. So we were able to sort of go out there and, and capitalize on a few terms like Twitter tutorial and Facebook ad marketing and introduction to marketing and, and whatever it was. And that got early traction for the channel. Never anything viral. Nothing ever got to a million views, but it was always like a couple hundred, couple thousand, 10,000, maybe a hundred thousand there, like just little picking and choosing away at it. And then it slowly grew and then was able to tap into suggested views and browse views, which is where most of the traffic comes from. But the reality is, is that they like no one came from Twitter, no one came from Facebook, a little bit from the email list. But even today, it's shocking how few views I get from the email list because the people that are on my email list that subscribe to me on YouTube, well, that's a set group. And the people that aren't, well, they just don't watch YouTube. So they're they're not interested. They'll just be like, thanks, Adam. We'll, we'll read the email. We'll may check it out later, but probably not. So yeah, it's very siloed. This episode of the Brand Design Masters podcast is sponsored by Bring Your Own Laptop. BYOL.me is a top-tier Adobe application video training website featuring Daniel Scott. Daniel's a certified Adobe trainer and keynote speaker at the Adobe Max conference every year. At BYOL.me forward slash Philip, you can learn everything from the basics to advanced aspects of your favorite Adobe applications, all for one low monthly subscription fee. Visit BYOL.me forward slash Philip. P-H-I-L-I-P. Again, that's B-Y-O-L dot M-E forward slash Philip. I just know you're going to be amazed at Bring Your Own Laptops courses. So how did you grow your email list? Yeah, it's funny. YouTube. Uh, so in the early days, uh, I grew my email list a lot through Facebook ads. That was a huge way. So what would happen is I ran one of my biggest lead magnets of all times was a Facebook ad image guide. 
So this was when I was really big into Facebook ads. I was running, still had the agency. I was running Facebook ads for a lot of clients. Most of my clients were interested in running Facebook ads or some kind of paid ads. So I obviously was going to um, drink my own poison there. And so essentially ran a ton of Facebook ads to this lead magnet. This was fortunately, again, kind of, I don't want to call it the golden days of ads, but like our, our stuff was really cheap to do. So we were able to get leads for under a dollar and it just made it incredibly cost effective to run traffic to a lead magnet, get them onto the email list, follow up with them then, and then sell them into agency services or courses or whatever it was. And then once those costs started rising, and it, and it happened about the same time that it was kind of over Facebook ads as well. So I still love them. I think they're great. I love paid traffic, love advertising. But it's not everything and it's not for everyone and it's not the magic bullet that people think it is. And so costs are going up and competition's rising and I was like, oh, there's another way to do this. And so YouTube started to go and then YouTube started delivering more leads than I was able to get through Facebook ads. I don't want to say it's free because all the time and money and energy invested in it, but it didn't really make sense because what was also interesting is that the conversion rates on the landing page, and we'll get a little nerdy here, was the conversion rates were three times higher for a lead coming through YouTube than they were from a lead coming from Facebook, which makes sense because nobody's ever heard of me on a Facebook ad. I'm just some guy trying to get them to download something. Whereas YouTube, they probably watch one, two, three videos. They're like, all right, I'll give this guy a chance. I'll see what he has to say. So yeah, we were getting, still getting around 70% opt-in rates for the lead magnet through YouTube, which is astronomically higher than we were getting through Facebook ads, which is 20%, which was pretty decent. So you were running YouTube ads or you were just driving it through your videos? YouTube organic. Yeah, all organic. Yeah. So what happens, bit of a side note as well, like if if you're going to run YouTube ads, you want to run them ideally on a separate channel so it doesn't mess up your organic reach and there's a whole other thing. It's a bit of a debate, hotly contested debate right now. Does it mess it up? I think it does. I don't do it. Uh, the second thing is, is that YouTube ads are still great, but the cost per lead is going to be a little higher. So you want to sell something high ticket. You probably don't want to sell it to a lead magnet. You want it to go to a webinar or whatever it is. So for my email list, I never messed around with YouTube ads. Not that I can think of. Maybe a test run at once, but like definitely not a driver. Everything's coming organically. Cool. So let's talk about your firm a little bit, your business. Who do you serve and, and what do you do for them? Yeah. So most of my clients are business owners. Period. And stop. So it's like they're they're a bit of a mix between service business, some product business, um, predominantly online, but there's some that are kind of hybrid online and offline. Uh, Revenue-wise, six, seven, eight figures. Uh, that's the average. So I'd say probably the average is around seven figures, high, low, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's the odd eight-figure. There's occasional billion-dollar company in there. There's a few startups that get in there. But what it is, is it's business owners, entrepreneurs that essentially want better marketing, which sounds sounds really broad and generic. But what's happened is they've got this really good service, a really good business, really good offer, and they're frustrated that what they've been told or what they've been advised to do, either by other marketers or just general advice, just isn't panning off. Like it's just not, it's not working. And there's some kind of disconnect. And it's typically in one of five areas that we found. So I'll walk them through sort of model market message media and machine, which is sort of my master plan idea. And what that does is we'll identify, well, all right, well, what's the business model that they're using and what is their positioning and what is their offer and what does the structure look like? And, and how does that all lay out so that are actually marketing something that's of value to the market they want to serve? And then the market being 
obviously, ideal customer avatar, what are they, demographic, geographic, psychographic details, all of their pains and problems and fears and frustrations, and how does your business solve them. Then we move into the message, which is kind of, uh, this is where things get really nerdy, but I get excited. It's kind of this psychologically driven messaging sequence. So what ends up happening is that we make these decisions immediately and we make them emotionally. And so what can happen is we can resonate with our market by speaking their language, by understanding them. And so it's sort of this more ethical form of persuasion where we're never trying to push something on someone they don't want. We're just trying to be like, look, if you have this problem, we have this solution. And then we can overcome objections in advance. And this is sort of my, I guess, quasi fear of selling and way of putting it into marketing so I don't have to do that. Then media is all about finding the right channels for where they're at. So people often start uh, my kind of engagement with them being, hey, Adam, we need help with XYZ, Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or whatever it is. And I'll say, cool, let's, let's have a look. And, and we'll look at it and we'll be like, none of your people are there. Like, we, you don't even need to do it. So no wonder it's not working. Like it's the, probably the worst channel ever for you. So we'll, we'll steer them to where their market actually is and then devise a strategy there. And then the final piece is the machine, which is really just a customer journey or a funnel. So figuring out, all right, well, what's the first piece of content they need to see? What's the second? How do, can we increase frequency and exposures and touch points? How do we follow up with either email, possibly SMS or direct mail or whatever all of the other cool tools that we have available are? And, uh, and that's it. So what does a typical engagement look like? Do you do you consult on retainer? Is it all via Zoom? Do you, you know, keep engaging as a external CMO or what does that look like in terms of your consulting with people? Super varied. Typically when I work with someone one-on-one, so if like a business is at XYZ revenue and they want to get to whatever else they want to do, uh, we'll typically work together from anywhere from six to 12 months. It's kind of like an average range. And then we're able to get the bulk of what we need to do where we can both leave comfortable that they're going to be set to go on and, and so on. So at, at around six months, we have a bit of an evaluation. I'm like, are you good? Do we, do we have everything you need? Are you set? Might extend that to 12 months. Uh, some clients just want to have that access. So they stick around for, I think my longest running client's been with me for five or six years now. Um, so they they'll be there forever. So I'm just kind of like a, a CMO that's always there. So if ever they have a question, they give me a call or whatnot. And then through courses and programs, if someone wants to DIY it themselves, they can go through the whole thing in around six weeks so they can figure it all out themselves and, uh, and sort of put the pieces together. But yeah, really, really depends on where they're at. The beauty of, I guess the beauty, the double-edged sword of marketing is that it's never done. So the thing is though, is like once you understand the principles, then all the tactics become a whole lot easier. So that's my goal. My mission is if I can give you sort of the, the goggles to look at things where you can see and separate the principles and the strategies from like the tactics and hacks, then you're going to be okay. So for example, if someone comes to me and they're like, when's the best time to post a YouTube video? Is it 6 a.m. or 6 p.m.? I don't know what to do. I was like, good, we can figure that out. But that's really easy. That's a tactical question. The better question is, should you even be on YouTube? And if you're on YouTube, what kind of videos should you make? And if you're making these videos, where should this be leading people? And if it's leading them there, what's the message that we're giving? And are we attracting the right kind of people? And there's just so many more layers to the question. And if you're able to approach your marketing from that viewpoint, it becomes really easy. And you've got a filter now to make way better decisions, way more profitable decisions. And you never start going down these crazy rabbit holes because anyone that's been involved in the world of marketing for any length of time knows it's like, man, we've seen some sketchy stuff. And like, and I'd like to think it's going to stop, but it's probably not going to stop. We're just going to see more sketchy stuff coming out. And, uh, and if you're not able to sort of look at it and be like, 
oh, that doesn't sound like it's going to work, then, then you're going to get burned. And, uh, and it's sad because, I don't know, you, you may have heard this where it's like, you should never work with a client if they have bad things to say about their previous agency because it's a bad sign of the client. And so I was like, all right, cool, I'll take that advice. And then it turns out every single one of my clients had bad experiences with previous marketers. So I was like, all right, well, something's going to have to switch here. So... Your journey has been really interesting to me because you've, you know, you spent your early part of your career as a pilot, which is completely outside of the marketing milieu entirely. And then you went into marketing as heavy as you went into being a pilot, it sounds like, and completely drank that Kool-Aid. It couldn't have been completely seamless, right? So what were some of your challenges that you had to overcome at the beginning when you were really kind of starting out that marketing journey? So I did so much stuff wrong, like everything wrong. Uh, first of all, so when I left flying, I ended up downtown and we're just, we're buying some shoes or whatever, some running shoes. And uh, I helped some person who was buying some running shoes and, uh, and the owner of the store came over and they're like, Hey, you don't want a job, do you? I was like, actually, I kind of do. So I started selling running shoes. So I'm going to school. I've left this incredibly high paying, prestigious job being a pilot. I'm selling running shoes and people come into the store and they see me and they know me and they, and I've got to basically explain what's just happened. And I'm, and they're like, and they couldn't, they didn't, they couldn't get it. And there was the judgment and the comments. So, so that was the perfect example of everything that I was about to go through for like the next year or two was just this judgment and this criticism and this fear from friends, family, as well as people that, that had some stuff uh, to be like, yeah, I don't do that that's a silly decision, go back or whatever it was. So there was all of this that I had to deal with. And that was hard, like really, really hard. So I think it, it sort of built up a bit of a thick skin that I didn't have prior to that. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have to do this. And the second thing is, is that, oh, this one's tricky, right? Because I, I don't want to be this like propagator of hustle culture and all of, all of this. But the reality is uh, I worked a lot. Like I worked seven days a week, 16 hours a day, I, I worked all the time. I had I, everything I could do to study and to learn. And if like a client wanted stuff done, I mean, I would have washed their cars. Like I would have done anything to sort of make this work to do it. So like my first client, they paid me like a hundred bucks and I had to drive to their office, do like an hour long meeting, set up all of these ads and campaigns, drive back, do all the work, drive back to the office, present everything. I mean, I literally, I must've made like three bucks an hour for this whole thing, but I got a testimonial and I got some results and that, that led to the next thing. And I did local networking that I didn't want to do. And I gave awkward speeches and presentations I didn't want to do. I just did just so much stuff and everything was awful. I'd like to say that it was all like, this is great. I'm having so much fun, but like every day kind of sucked, but in a good way. Cause I was like, <laughs> I've got I've got this control and I'm building something. And it was something that, again, I was in complete control of. So nobody could could come and take that away from me. It's not like they could, and especially with flying, my big thing at the time was I just didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go away anymore. And so no one could call me and they'd be like, Adam, just go fly to London because I, I didn't have to. So I had to sacrifice. So yeah, man, it was tough. And then from there, did the usual thing, started the ads, got the bad comments on the ads. People like, what did, where are these people coming from? Who, who hurt you? I'm so sorry. Like, how is this happening? And then the same thing with YouTube. And I, I don't <laughs> know. Just you? Like, wait, 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 who hurt you? <laughs> who hurt you? That's my favorite. So I wish I could remember who told me that. But, but when you get a really, a really bad comment, you're just like, oh man, I'm so sorry. Like you must be going through something. Oh, oh, oh you you're know? saying who hurt you. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, what yeah. kind of bad day did you have? Just have to comment that. Right. That's Exactly, exactly. But no, it was the early days were tough and they were like that for 
I probably worked harder than I than I needed to for a while because I still had that fear, uh, and and I was hungry, like really hungry, physically and and emotionally. <laughs> like I needed I needed rice to eat. Yeah. So, yeah. Wait. So this was obviously pre kids, pre wife, pre kids. Yeah, pre kids with wife, and okay. uh, but pre kids because that would have. I don't, it, it would have been interesting to see how that changed it. Uh, because what ended up happening is we were married. We had, we basically got rid of all of our expenses, moved into this like tiny, tiny little in-law suite where I could sit at my desk and like touch the bed and the kitchen and the bathroom all in the same, all in the same spot. And, uh, and did that for like a good two years before things clicked earlier than that. But I think we finally felt safe there and then went and bought a property, built a house and, and things started to go. And then had our first son it was six and a half years ago or so. And so my office was in the house before we built another office, uh, before family started getting really noisy. And yeah, it, it just sort of kept, kept pushing. Uh, there was always sort of these constraints and these fears, they just changed. Like at first it was just being afraid that I didn't have enough food to eat or feed my wife. And then it was, all right, well, how am I going to feed my kids? And then yeah, now now we're comfortable, but I still I don't think I've lost that like little chip on my shoulder still from selling shoes. So. so you're still hungry. Still hungry, yeah. Now chances are many of you listening might have first come across me via my YouTube channel. Building my presence on YouTube has done more to build my personal brand than any other platform. So I want to share with you the one resource that was critical in growing my channel. It's a YouTube plugin called TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy is a freemium browser extension that you use to manage and optimize your YouTube channel videos. It saves a massive amount of time doing the mundane tasks like adding cards and managing your video descriptions. But it also provides incredible value through its video analytics, showing you data about your competitors' videos that's absolutely invisible without it. It also helps with adding metadata to your videos so they show up better in search. If you want to take your YouTube work to the next level, you have to get TubeBuddy. You can support this podcast by signing up through our affiliate link. Just go to TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen. It's easy to remember. Just type in TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen to check it out. By adding TubeBuddy to your video workflow, I guarantee you your channel will grow much, much faster. Just go to TubeBuddy.com slash Philip Van Dusen and sign up for TubeBuddy today. You know, one of the things you were just talking about marketing never being done. And one of the reasons why I think marketing is never done these days is because every time you turn around, there's a new platform, right? Suddenly there's TikTok and then there's Clubhouse and then there's Twitter Spaces and then everyone's trying to be, you know, a one-stop shop, right? Yeah. I think that that sends clients for a loop because clients are always, oh, should I be on TikTok? Oh, should I be? You know, yeah, it's, it's like the ricochet syndrome. Yeah. And YouTube is one of those ones where everyone feels like they either have to do better at YouTube or they need to be on YouTube. And you were just saying that you may not need to be on YouTube. YouTube might not be for your business. Have you found any kind of businesses that shouldn't be on YouTube? How do you determine whether as a business you should be on YouTube or not? Awesome question. So first of all, you're absolutely right. It's like if you just think about the quintessential small business website and you think of their homepage and you think of those like social links at the top and then you click on their Twitter and it's like last Twitter post 2015 and you're like, why? Why? Why is this here? Like this is not doing good things for you. So yes, everyone feels like, first of all, it's, it's a combination of FOMO and this like, I, I can't get left behind, but also that I don't want to say people have been lied to, but they've been oversold on the importance of all of these 
tricks and tactics and hacks. And like, you've got to be in all these places. And, but like, let's take a step back for a second and think, well, are your clients or your customers, are they on all these places? And are they engaging with all of this content? And do they really need to see you there too? Maybe, maybe not. So that's step one. The second thing is to figure out where people need to be. Uh, the easiest thing by far is like, if we go to Google and we type in social media demographics, we're going to get a couple of good reports from a couple of relatively decent sources on what kind of people are using what social media networks. So we can figure out generic statements here of like, all right, if you're man over 35, Facebook's probably safe. Woman under 35, Instagram's probably safe. Um, 25 and under TikTok, although it's aging up. Uh, B2B, LinkedIn, predominantly female, probably Pinterest. I mean, like we've got all of this, this data. This, this isn't a secret. So you can take a look at like where your market is and you can start to make decisions on where should I be, what should I not be. But there's another factor at play, which is, well, what kind of content can I create and do I enjoy creating? And more importantly, am I going to be able to consistently create? Because just like our buddy there with uh, our Twitter post from 2015, it's irrelevant if you're like, yeah, I'm going all in on Twitter. I was like, well, all okay, right, make the, make the right choice here because you're, you're going to sink some time <laughs> make, in there. Make good choices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't make bad tweets. We've seen, we've seen the damage that can do. So, uh, so for YouTube, the thing with that one is that I've, I've got mixed feelings on it. Because first of all, in my humble but I'd argue accurate opinion, video content is is one of the best forms of content next to being face-to-face. -face. I mean, you're able to see someone, you're able to judge their body language, you're just able to communicate so much. So if not YouTube, then where? And that's the real kicker for me, is like there's no other platform that has the power that YouTube does. I mean, sure, you can do Facebook Lives and Instagram Lives and you can do IGTV if anybody still watches that. Like, I mean, there's these other sort of quasi-video channels that are trying and, and failing. Facebook Watch, that's a thing. People don't even know about it. Like, <laughs> that just goes to show you. Like, Facebook can't even crack this. So, so YouTube for me is like, all right, that's probably going to be the best place if you're going to make video. But that said, if you hate video, you, you don't have to do it. Like you got, you got a, you got a pass for me. If you just like you, the thought of being on camera or getting anyone to be on camera or scripting a video or doing it, nah, do something else. You can do a blog. Blogs are still very effective. People still read depending on what market you're in. Podcasts, what an amazing way to nurture and engage an audience through long form content. People don't like watching long form podcasts on YouTube. They're trying to change that and, and introduce different things, but they don't get the same reach that they do. In fact, what people often do is We'll take audio content, we'll put it on YouTube, and someone will listen to it. I watch a lot of YouTube videos just having the audio play in the background. So there's different ways of playing around with content, but you've got to figure out where your sweet spot is and what kind of content your market wants to consume and then what you're going to be able to do. So again, I love YouTube. It's become more competitive where it's at the point that I think if you're interested in it, 100% go for it. Like there's, there's no excuse not to, but if you're not interested in it, I don't think you have to, it's not, it's not one of those things. You got to do some kind of video some way, but yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to do that one. So what would you say is the hot platform that people are feeling FOMO about now? So the hot platform for sure is, uh, it's actually, it's a bit of a combo. The, the main one that people just keep talking about is TikTok. Everyone's talking about TikTok. Me and TikTok, oh, I got mixed feelings because because uh, I'm looking at the growth. I'm looking at the trajectory of it. I know platforms age up. We've seen the same thing with every single one, Facebook and Instagram and whatever it is. So we know it's going to age up and we're seeing people get decent results and decent followers and decent, et cetera, et cetera. The problem with it, and this is sort of my argument against 
all form of short form vertical content is that it can be decent in like real strong B2C industries if you're selling clothing, fashion, makeup, whatever it is. Uh, but in B2B or in anything where there's sort of a, a longer term relationship, you cannot build a relationship or trust or authority or whatever it is in someone with 15 seconds. You just, you, you simply can't. We don't trust it. And if you look at the way that people engage with the content and they quickly scan through it is like a million say TikTok followers is financially about the same as like a thousand YouTube followers or a thousand downloads on your podcast or a thousand email subscribers. They don't correlate. And so what ends up happening is people end up confusing likes with revenue. And so they try to build up an audience and they try to uh, get all these quick wins. And it's very easy to do. Like if anybody's ever like, I need more leads or more followers or whatever it is, it's very simple. They're just not going to be the right people. If you want to get the right people, it's going to be very hard because typically good people, quality people, people that are interested in what you have to say and ideas, well, they're going to take a little bit more than you doing a fancy dance or some some cute edits or using a trending video or whatever it is. So I'm not against it. And I think there's a time and a place and there's a way to do it strategically. But I think it's been oversold, at least now. And then there's a the whole other side about regulations and, and um, the political side of things, which I'm only half aware of. And even that confuses and scares me at the same time. So... So how do you, how do you stay inspired? What inspires you and where do you go for inspiration? Yeah, I consume a lot of content. Um, so I go everywhere. <laughs> I, I read a lot of books and I listen to a lot of podcasts and watch videos. And I've got good coaches and good mentors and good friends. I talk to a lot of people. Uh, I talk to my clients and my customers about what they're doing. That's probably the main way that I get it is conversations with my clients and customers as well, hmm. because their concerns, well, they'll come to me with the things that they want to know, as well as the things that they think they want to know. So they'll be like, TikTok's a great example. Adam, we've got this thing. Do we need to know about it? And then I'll deep dive into it and see what I can figure out and talk to other people I know that are smarter with, say, TikTok marketing than I am and, and leverage that over. But otherwise, it's just sort of this curiosity is interesting uh, because I don't know. I think you can sort of foster some curiosity just by learning about stuff. So if you find any thread that you're somewhat even remotely interested in, you just pull on it a little bit, you'll start to go down the rabbit hole and you'll find more things and more things to learn about. And then when you learn more, you realize how little you know and you need to learn more. And I don't know, it just, it kind of never ends. So how do you, you say that you consult people who know more than you or mentors, who have your mentors been in coming up through the marketing world? The first person that really influenced you or that you connected with that you've gone back to time and time again? Yeah. So I've been, oh man, I've been really fortunate. I've had good friends and good mentors throughout my whole, throughout my whole journey. So my earliest mentors were actually um, probably my billionaire clients back when I used to do flying. One thing, we used to have this expression, I don't, I don't know how accurate or kind it is, but we used to say, you'd be, you're able to tell the billionaires from the millionaires by the way that they treat you. And what would happen is when we would greet our billionaire clients, they would say, hi, Adam, how you doing? How's the family? How's this and that and whatever it is? And they'd bring food up to the cockpit and they'd have us back and we'd chat with them. We'd ride in the car. We would just have a real good rapport and because uh, they had nothing to prove and they, they were just nice, friendly people. Some of the, the millionaire or, or the guests of the billionaires, they would often be rude or curt or like, like they had something to prove and they would, they would brush us off. So it was really interesting. And I got to spend a considerable amount of time with my billionaire clients, either in the back of the plane, talking to them or asking questions, or there's a fine line because they're, they're still your clients and you're still the pilot. So you can't just go and pry into all of their business matters. But you learn a lot, uh, mostly around kind of what they value for time. That was the big one is um, 
we would fly and we would have sort of the plane pushed up right at the red line of how fast we could go. And there was like this tiny little bit more we could go. And to go like 1% faster was going to cost us thousands and thousands of dollars more in gas. So we would always just sort of eke it off a bit. And I remember like every time we would sort of drag it back, I'd get a tap on my shoulder and be like, Adam, push it. Like we, we got to go. Cause it was like, it was always about that time. So we would, we'd spend the extra thousands to make it there a few minutes earlier. So that was good. But, uh, CEO of Nightingale Conan was a mentor of mine for a great, great guy. I've had a big, big factor for me was, um, Nicholas Kuzmich who got me into Facebook ads, super great guy and moved to Kelowna now, another British Columbian. Uh, so he was great cause he taught me about, that was when I was a little more scattered about doing all kinds of different things, SEO and web design and that. And he's like, yeah, focus in Facebook ads. So that was really good. And that really sort of, I guess, quote unquote, put me on the map kind of in the marketing world by running a lot of Facebook ads for some, some big clients. And uh, yeah, and then it's just continued to, uh, to grow some, some good people out there. Well, Adam, it's been awesome talking to you. This is a question I ask all of my guests at the end. Do you have a personal mantra or a manifesto of some sort that you try to live your life by? Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything codified in a short version. I've got definitely a long list of rules. Uh, the big thing for me, I think for life, it's about growth and learning. So that's, that's my personal motto is like anything that I can do to keep growing and keep learning uh, is big. And for business, I've got a really strong belief in value first. So it's like anything that I can do to create value for a client or customer in advance of, of money ever changing hands, or even the request of money ever changing hands, has just always served me really well. I think one more tied in with that is, um, is this, this willingness or this belief to treat the other person's business like it's yours. So never doing anything for them or never suggesting anything to them that you would be unwilling to do yourself or you haven't done mm. yourself. And that has just served me incredibly well because there have been more than enough opportunities to make sketchy short-term um, cash shots and just do something that the client wants that you know is just a terrible idea that I've not done. And in the end, it's just paid off so much more because now a decade later, I think this marketing game, this business game is almost a war of attrition where if you can just stick around and do good work, things are, things are going to go fine. Like you're going to be okay, but don't mess it up. Like you only have one name, one reputation. And so it's, it's worth protecting. Words to the wise. So what's on the horizon for Adam? What's your future look like at the moment? Yeah, more of the same. Of course, we've got uh so the big next thing is um the marketing master plan which is going to kick off cohort 2, so revise kind of my main flagship program and then that's going off in January. And then otherwise, uh more YouTube, more content, more emails, all the same. Awesome. So Adam Earhart um, where can people get in touch with you if they need to talk to Adam? Yeah, you can find me. Well, the easiest place is YouTube. You can definitely find me there and leave a comment. So far, knock on wood, I've been able to respond to every single one that I get. And I, I have I have the plan and the intention to keep doing that for as long as I physically can. So uh, if you just go to YouTube and you type Adam Earhart, or you type marketing or anything like that, you'll find me. And otherwise, adamearhart.com is the website and uh, and there's details there too. Adam, awesome, awesome talking to you. Thank you so much. I hope you come back and talk to us again sometime soon. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on there, Philip. If you'd like to help support the Brand Design Masters podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, if you want to stay up to date on all our content, products, courses, and live video shows, head over to philipvandusen.com slash muse and sign up for the Brand Muse newsletter. That's where we share all the latest news, resources, articles, books, and videos that we recommend to help you build and improve your creative practice, personal brand, and business. 
That's philipvandusen.com slash muse, M-U-S-E. Thanks again for listening. Bye for now.